Welcome to our weekly, and we mean weekly Wednesday night shear. The Nishmas Ephraim, Yom Tevlipa, Shmuel Yaakov Ben Moshe, and Jeanette Bas Ephraim Hakoyim. Shabbos Parshas Shemini, Parshas Poro. Very, very, very rare. Not very, yeah, it is very rare. Because usually Shemini, the famous saying of Shemini Shemina, like last year, we lane Shemini eight times. We lane it on Shabbos before Mincha, on Monday and a Thursday, and then it was Pesach. So we lane it again on Shabbos Mincha, and again on Monday and a Thursday, and then Pasha Shemini. So there was eight times laning of Shmini. But this year, not only we're not laning it after Pesach, not only we're laning it before Pesach, we are laning it way before Pesach, we are laning it actually on Pasha's Poro. And Toshin Chavhei, it was actually Pasha's Poro. But very rarely does it come out this early. It's just a matter of fact that the Ibiyar, even with the Ibiyar, it's still coming out on Pasha's Pada. Um So the Shabbos, we said, is Pasha Shmini. Shabbos is Pasha Shmini. And Shabbos Pasha's Pada. There will be two Sefritera. First Sefritera will lane the entire Pasha Shmini in seven Aliyahs. And the eighth, the Maftir Aliyah, will be laned in Yetzirah from the second Sefritera which is for Pasha's Pada. Much better. Pasha's Pada. Let's just get the axe out of the way. Um, Pasha's Pada. Out of the four Parshas that we lane, the special Parshas, we had Shkolim, which was Shabbos of Archim Adr, or if Rishchidish Adr comes out on Rishchidish Shabbos, then would be Shabbos Shkolim. Zachir, which is the Shabbos before Purim, regardless as to when Shkolim was, Shabbos before Purim will always be Zachir, as it was last Shabbos. That was past. Shabbos before. As Purim was already last week. It's a week since Purim. Wow, and how many people still haven't recuperated? Anyway. So the Shabbos Zohar is connected to Purim, the Shabbos before Purim. Poro is connected to HaChedish. The two other parishes are Parshish Poro and Parshish HaChedish. And Pasha's Parah is connected to HaChodesh. Whenever HaChodesh is, Parah is the Shabbos before. Now for some people that's a little difficult, because they wait sometimes to hear when is Pasha HaChodesh. And when it's Pasha HaChodesh, they say, oh, that means last week was Parah. That won't work. They missed it. 
But we do know that that is the order, that Parah is connected with HaChedesh. Whenever HaChedesh will be, Parah is the Shabbos before that. Um, therefore, this Shabbos is Shabbos Mavarach HaChedesh Nisan, and we have next Shabbos with Parah HaChedesh, because it will be Shabbos Rish Chedesh Nisan. Now, Shabbos HaChedesh, Parah HaChedesh, could also have one of two um, possibilities. Either Shabbos Mevarchim Chedesh Nisan or Rish Chedesh Nisan. Shabbos Rish Chedesh Nisan. This year they chose the, chose the latter of Rish Chedesh, Shabbos Rish Chedesh Nisan. And therefore, um, next Shabbos is Parashat Chedesh, this Shabbos is Parashat Parah. Parah. V'yichoyelecha Parah Aduma. In order for anyone to bring any kind of carbon, any kind of sacrifice, they need it to be pure. They need to be clean. How does one become impure, unclean? Coming in contact with a either a dead body or a dead shedet or whatever it might be. This then makes them tomei. And in order to become tohir, depending on, of course, on what level of Tumah they had reached. But generally, if a person became Tomei because Tomei Mace, they had to deal with a Levaya, a funeral, and they had to carry a corpse, or any other way that you can become Tomei with a corpse, Mahil, etc., which would mean if you're in the same room, under the same roof, or if you walk over, etc. So if they become tummy, then they take, they have to wait till they bring the red heifer, the pora aduma, and the pora aduma is brought, is burnt, and then the ashes mixed with special water, and the person is then sprayed sprinkled, excuse me, with this water and blood and whatever else. And then they wait till the evening and they become Tahir. However, we have spoken about this many times in Pasha's Chukas, which is what we read for Pasha's Para, how the Chok of Paraduma, being a mitzvah with something we can't grasp with our own mind, a mitzvah that we don't understand on our own because it doesn't make sense really how that very same potion sprayed on a person that is tummy making him tired that very same potion sprayed the person, the kayan that sprays him becomes tummy I'll wait till the evening but he becomes tummy nonetheless so it's obviously a very very Difficult mitzvah to understand, to grasp, and not all mitzvahs, being that there are different categories of mitzvahs, mitzvahs that are called mishpatim, mitzvahs that are called kukim, mitzvahs that are called edis, each one in its own capacity. Mishpatim are the ones that we take, that we understand on our own. Edis are testimonial. And Chukim are mitzvahs that we don't really know the answer to. They understand the reason to.
Therefore, Paraduma is considered one of the Chukim Zeitz Chukas Actually, it's the Chok of the Teira, one of the most pertinent ones. We've spoken Pashas Chukas many times about the relevance, 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 etc. Um, how they connect and how it fits into the world, lifestyle, etc. Since it is prior to Parsha Chedesh, therefore, the yomtiv karbanas that needed to be brought, which were the karbanas of the Karam Pesach, obviously the person needed to be clean, and therefore the discussion of the para done prior to this yomtiv. Although there is shuas as well, and sukkas as well, also where people needed to become tahir, it's at this point of the year that it is mentioned. Pashas Shmini. <laughs> Pashas Shmini is like every Pasha in the Teda. Wow. It's a wow Pasha. It starts off t- talking about Yemesh Shmini, this eighth day of the dedication of the tabernacle in the desert. goes on to talk about the dedication itself. It talks about the two sons of Aharim. He had four sons. The two sons that passed away, which we'll hopefully discuss. And then, Karbanas, then it talks about animals. The kosher, the non-kosher, fish, etc. All in one parasha. Needless to say, one of the mainstays of our conversation, there are two mainstays of our conversation, of our sikhs tonight, our shir. One will be, not Tchilosan Vesefim, Vesefim B'Tchilosan. The connection of the beginning of the Pasha and the end of the Pasha. Also discussing the passing of the two sons of Aaron. And a little bit about kosher animals, etc. Pasha Shmini is called Shmini because Vahiba Yama Shmini was the eighth day, and therefore the name of the Pasha is Shmini. And these are the days, this is what happened, the occurrences that took place, as we said before, the eighth day of the dedication of the Mishkan. Seven days they were working, every day there was another dedication. It was stood up and taken down and stood up and taken down. Finally on the eighth day it was set up. And then they began to have Avedis and Mishkan. One of the mainstay miracles that took place on this day, on this eighth day, was a ash, a flame, that came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices on the altar that were put by Aaron and his children. As the Pasik tells us, 
chapter 9, verse 24, a flame came down from God Himself, consumed on the altar, the oil and its fats. The entire nation was shook from this, and they fell on their faces. This is a high point. A high point of the eighth day. Tremendous occurrence. The entire nation shook from this occurrence. Then we hear again, the flame goes out, when it is involved with the sons of Aaron, as we said, not of an Aviyu. What exactly happened to them? They had, as we discussed in many many years prior to this in Shmini, they had a chukah, a yearning, to attach themselves to the never-ending holiness of God. Until this chukah achieved such a level that they came to what's called Kalis Hanefesh. Their souls just left. Generally, the purpose of a person in this world, oh no, the purpose of a person in this world is Ratzu Vishuv, to want to attach to God, to want to get as close as possible to God, and then Vishuv. And then to return. The ultimate goal of a person is to live in this world, to be in this world, and to exist in this world. And their existence depends solely on how they serve God. The existence of the person is dependent on how they serve God. The mission of a person is solely to serve God. And therefore, we want to become one with God. But although one wants to become one with God, one needs to understand as long as they're a human being, a soul in a body, they're becoming one with God, they're becoming one with God, is a Ratsu Vishayiv. Although they want, and they have a yearning to attach, they need to also return thereafter. But they didn't have that. They couldn't find any place in this world any longer. They only wanted to be connected and attached to God. Which shows us how great and how high and spiritual the Jews were at this point. So much so they needed to be warned 
be careful you don't go and end up in Kalei Nefesh. And the mice. As much as they wanted to be attached to God. In that very same parasha, which tells us how great and how wonderful and how high the Jews had achieved and ascertained, that very same parasha, it continues and tells us of another level of the Jews. The terrorist starts to enumerate, as we said before, the kosher animals and the non-kosher. And till so much so, it talks about the prohibition of eating vermin, bugs, etc. Honestly speaking, besides being in Dachau, or Buchenwald, or Auschwitz, or any other concentration camp, the normal person does not eat bugs. Although, I spoke to a fellow who I consider relatively normal, and he went on a trip once to Mexico, and he wanted to experience the life. And they eat in Mexico some odd dishes. Amongst which he found a burrito. And I didn't even want to talk about what was in there. But he said he tried it because he wanted to try the full experience. Hashem Yishmar. So a person that's eating bugs, generally, is not exactly on the proper level of where a person should be. Now, we're not talking about the bugs in the strawberries or the bugs in the lettuce or the bugs in the water. I'm talking about downright eating a bug, an open bug. And generally, a person is revolted by the thought. It doesn't logically dictate to a person to eat a cockroach. You know, just bite into it. But yet, the terror takes he takes time to warn him against this. So therefore, the teaches us that the terror in our parsha is talking about the people of the Shmini the Miluim that went till Kaleitsa Nefesh as the sons of Aaron went, and talks about the cockroach eaters. The question is. How does that come into this parsha? The Jews are not at that level. This teaches us a very important lesson of Kabbalah's oil. Acceptance of the yoke of the Almighty. Sometimes a person feels that Kabbalah's oil is at at a low point. They just don't want. They don't want to be attached to God, they have no thirst to love God. 
Then you have the person that says, I'm in love with the one above. There's nothing more in my life except for God Himself. I want to be with God. I want to please, only want to attach myself to God. This person does not need any Kabbalah sale. He is a devoted, dedicated servant. And his, and his every emotion. Comes to Tehran and teaches us. The concept of Kabbalah sale is a fundamental foundation to every service of God. It doesn't matter what level you're at. One cannot serve God by feeling, emotion, or intellect. No matter how great they are in it. Everyone's service to God properly is done with Kabbalah Sale. I'm taught as such, and therefore I'm doing as such. It's extremely difficult, especially when it comes, you get, you have to hear, um, Sakdin. When you have to hear Das Teda, Teda's opinion, many people say, Who are you? Your beard is bigger than mine. Your hat size is smaller. I, what do you want to say? Why do you think that you can tell me or dictate to me Das Teda? This is where Kabbalah Sel comes in. And if God forbid a person doesn't have Kabbalah Sel, they can stoop, stoop quite low. So much so that they end up eating bugs, God forbid. Tells us that for the Tater, it doesn't matter if you're a Shmini, if you're on the eighth day of Miluim and you're that great sage, and you're that person that just wants to be attached you're just in love with the one above, or if you're that simple person that really doesn't have much to think about, doesn't really have great, not great in the intellect department, but if you don't serve God with Kabbalah sale, you're not on the right page. And we see this from the animals as well. Let us begin with the fish. The kosher fish needs to have fins and scales. The layer of scales protects the body. And the fins helps it swim. Where does a fish exist? In water. And in essence, fish are symbolic to a Talmud Chochem, to the Torah sages, Torah scholars. And we know the famous story 
The Rabbi Akiva had told, when Tunis Rufus told him, I'll give you everything in the world, leave the Torah alone. And he told him that there was a fox walking by the water. And when the fish saw the fox, started to jump, get very nervous that the fox would perhaps try to grab the fish out of the water. And the fox tells the fish, Tiraga, calm down, take it easy. I see you're scared. Don't be. I'm a kind fox. I'll protect you. Come out. Get on my back and I'll protect you. Fish says, Fox, you're supposed to be the smartest of the animals. Yet you display such stupidity. Everyone knows a fish without water cannot exist. And so said Rabbi Akiva to Tunis Rufus. Everyone knows a Jew without Terah is non-existent. And so too, as the fish is underwater, the Torah scholar is immersed in the in the Ber Mayim Chaim, which is the words of Terah. And just like we identify the kosher fish by its fins and scales, a Torah scholar has the same two qualities. Even when the body of the scholarship of the scholarship is undisputed, just like the fish uses its fins to propel itself forward, moving quickly from one location to another, the same analogically represents the Torah scholar studying Teda. And as he expounds in a deep thought of Teda, he needs to propel himself deeper and deeper. And this terror knowledge that he's received from others, he uses to discover new layers of Torah and Torah's interpretation, Torah's novel approaches, its application. This we see from a Torah scholar. The Finns, however, are only one of the requisite signs of the kosher fish. Kosher fish needs to have, as we said before, the scales. If you keep me score at home, the Gemara in Shabbos, Lamed Aleph, Amid Aleph, 31, side 1, compares Yiris Hashem, the fear of God, to the preser- pre- preservative
without which a person's Torah study can spoil. It preserves, it needs to preserve the Torah study. These protective scales that by the fish identifies the fish as a kosher fish represent also the fear of God that needs to accompany a person's Torah study. For if one does not have the fear of God, they don't have their Torah study. And if you learn in Mesechta's Nida, keeping score at home, Pedic Vav, Mishnah Tess, where the Mishnah tells us that the presence of scales on a fish is an automatic proof that it is kosher. Fins alone do not prove it. Scales do. And the Mishnah's words, every fish that has scales also has fins. But some fish that have fins don't have scales. So by learning this, the Mishnah is saying that the fear of God not only prevents the terrorist scholar and his scholarship from spoiling, it also ensures that it has the proper effects on the person on his life and guarantees you'll ultimately contribute to that vast sea of authentic wisdom. We turn to another animal, the Chazer, the swine, the pig. The pig is not kosher. The animal needs two signs as well. Split hooves and needs to chew its cud or regurgitate its cud. The Erechayim HaKadosh, the Helik Erechayim HaKadosh says about this Pasuk Vesachazer Ki mafris parsehu V'shesah shesa Parsa V'hu geira le'yigor Tomihu lachem Because it has the split hooves which are completely split, but it does not regurgitate its cud, as we said. It's unclean. Chapter 11, verse 7. Pedig Yiralev Pasig Zayin in Vayikra. Says the Rechaim HaKadosh. According to this, the Osid Lovay in the time of Mashiach. The pig's nature and consequently its status of non-kosher will change. Which means to say the pig is non-kosher only as long as it doesn't chew its cud. In the future, however, the pig will chew its cud. And it will still have its split hooves and will become a fully kosher animal. Ew. What a thought. Anyway. The idea of this horrible non-kosher animal becoming kosher, being transformed into a kosher animal, 
is actually only used by the pig. As we said, the only deficiency the pig has is not mamaligeta. Besides being filthy. On the other hand, there are animals that do chew its cud, chew their cud, but they don't have split hooves. They will not get split hooves when Mashiach comes. They will remain unclean. This distinction of the animals that are non-kosher, and only the pig will become kosher, this reflects the unique spiritual quality that each of these identifying features of a kosher animal represent. The chewing of its cud and the split hooves. So therefore, when one of them lacks one of the two, when an animal lacks one of the two qualities, it shows a weakness, a spiritual weakness, which therefore makes the animal prohibitive. However, an animal that does chew its cud and thoroughly processes its food and it makes it more digestible, this symbolizes the person whose inner character is exceptionally refined. Whilst the pig, in contrast, does not process its food as thoroughly, it bears other sign of a kosher animal that split hooves, which is a limb, and the limb that gives it mobility. Therefore, the pig represents the person that's unrefined within. Their character is unrefined. But their deeds are up to par. This person, in his current state, person whose weakness is unrefined character, is deficient. But the Asudlavai, when Mashiach will come, it will bring elevation and refinement to the entire universe, including the internally defic- deficient people. And therefore, combined with the person's good deeds, he will have both spiritual qualities represented by the kosher signs. And so, of course, correspondingly, though the animals that don't chew their cud will remain non-kosher, even at the time Mashiach, for nothing can compensate for the lack of mitzvahs in actual practice. However, the pig, whose hooves are always split, they can, because they represent the mice and tevim, can become kosher. Let's touch upon the story of Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu. Here we are on the eighth day. 
the dedication of the tabernacle. Oh, sorry, the tabernacle. Everyone coming to place, everyone joyous, everyone full high spirits. Missing something here. In the middle of everything, in the middle of all the joy, in the middle of the happiness, middle of everything, a tragedy. A tragedy of horrific, horrific ramification of level, of horrific dimensions. Not of any of you, the sons of Aaron perish. They were punished with a sudden death. And Rashi explains, according to Rabbi Shmuel, they died because they entered the Mishkan under the influence of alcohol. And he writes, that we see evidence to that, Because immediately after this chapter, the Torah tells us of the prohibition of drinking wine for any Kayan to drink wine before entering the Mishkan. And then he says, and to understand this, I want to give you a parable that the Medrash relates to us of a king once found his dev- devoted then bias an aid, domestic aid going into a tavern without a word the king had him put to death and he had another aid put in his place not necessarily did everybody know, understand why he was put to death the first one but then the king called in the new aide and he told him, Do not enter the doors of taverns, which was the cause of death of the first aide. Rashi cites Bishmal's explanation and refers, of course, to this very marshal of the king that had a ben bias. And Rashi writes, as taught in Vayikra Rabbah, but he does not finish it. He doesn't tell the whole story. Rashi draws attention to the opening words, and thereby addressing the most troubling issue raised by Rabbi Shmuel's explanation. How is it possible that God punishes these two children, they were boys, they were not married, may have been adults, may have, they were sages, according to opinions, Moshe and Aaron said they were greater than they were. They are punished by death 
for entering the Mishkan while intoxicated. How? You never told us not to. And the proof is, you're telling me, then why do I think that's the reason? Because, right afterwards, God makes the commandment. They weren't told. And the parable is one of tells of an aid that was not warned beforehand. The parable does not tell us that the aid that the aid was warned. It just says he was put to death. And the second aid didn't even know why. Only only after the second aid gets appointed is he told not to do this. The aid needs to understand as a member of the king's household this was not behavior fit for a king for a king's servant. And the same is true for another one of you. God told Moshe, I crave my life those who are closest to me, nearest to me, Kikodeshani. Even entering the Mishkan after drinking wine was not a prohibition. They should have understood instinctively this was the proper way to behave if you're coming into a king's palace. According to the first explanation of Rashi, the reason that they were put to death was because they set up sak halacha. They passed, they rendered a decision, a Torah decision, in front of their teacher. And therefore, they were put to death. For one may not render a Torah decision in front of the teacher. And the second explanation tells us how they were intoxicated. Let us examine the actual Pasuk. How the Pasuk describes what happened here. Terah tells us 
Batete Eish. A flame went out and consumed them. Terry does not tell us they were stoned or any other death. Batete Eish. Earlier the parasha said, as we said, the climax of the parasha, the high point, the zenith of the parasha, Batei A flame went out from God and consumed on the altar sacrifices. Now once again, Vatetzeish. Once again, a flame goes out. According to Tera, to Medish, to commentaries, the flame entered their nostrils and burnt their insides, leaving them whole. Their bodies were untouched. As we said before, the mainstay sin of Nodav and Avihu was they only wanted the Rotsu Ve'enishayv. They wanted to be one with God. They wanted till so much so till Kaleis Hanefesh till their souls left them, they wanted to be one with God. They had no interest in staying on this world, being worldly, keeping their soul in their body. They wanted to attach themselves completely to God. And this is not the way. This is not how it works. This is not how it's done. One needs to know they need to be on this world. And therefore, when the sons of Aaron, I mean, let's get realistic. According to the first opinion of Rashi, where we say that the sons of Aaron were greater then Moshe and Aaron themselves. And they were able to paskin halachas. They were able to render decisions, halachic decisions. And the abstract description of these very same individuals is they were intoxicated. Let's talk to the point. Such special, holy individuals who only had one thing in mind to be attached to God Himself. 
and we're able to render halachic decisions. Intoxication, really? Sat and drank? Imbibed? And what were you thinking? Where are you coming from? How do we justify this? How do we put together two and two here? How do we make them coincide? They were so holy or they were drunks? What's going on here? Teda is represented by oil, by wine. The intoxication referenced here was the Teda connection how full and intoxicated of Torah they were. And therefore, because they were so fully intoxicated with godliness in Torah, they only wanted one thing, and that was to connect to God. Therefore we see that there is not necessarily a conflict of character here we see that we are talking about the same people. That very same person that wanted to be attached to God, that was in love with the one above, was fully intoxicated with holiness, with Torah, to such a level, so much so, that their service was not accepted. This is not the goal. This is not the way to go and to be. One needs to be a worldly person. One needs to take Torah, mitzvahs, worldly items and turn them into godliness. Let us examine for a moment the concept nods tchilasan b'seifan, b'seifan b'tchilasan. The beginning and the end need to coincide. So we look at our parasha, as we spoke before, the high point of the Jewish nation, by Yemashmini, and the person, the lowly person, eating shratzen. And we explain the different types of characters of people and the importance and relevance of Kabbalah Sale. But then the Pasha finishes. To separate between the impure and the pure. Hey, what's going on here?
The beginning of the parasha starts at the highest level of the Jews and finishes off the separation between pure and impure. So much so that the word Shmini comes from the Shmina. The number eight is a holy number. It symbolizes above nature. Nature is seven days of a week. Nature is a seven cycle. One above that, the eight, is one above that. So much holiness in the number of eight in the Miyama Shmini. There's no concept of bad found in it even. And in this very Pasha, as we said, we find all the animals, but more importantly, the Pasha finishes, Lahavdul Benatomei Benatoir, between the impure and the pure. You want to tell me that only when someone achieves that high of a level of Shmini, of the eight, only at that point can one achieve can one achieve the difference of Tameh and Tahir? Rashi explains this Pasuk to teach us Lahavdul to make a separation of the fine points. The fine points of Tera. When it comes to Shechita, Slaughtering. Talacha. The knife, the sakin, needs to cut through most of the kana and the veshet, the windpipe, the food pipe. Sometimes is a technicality. And we're not sure how much of it was cut. Half, most. It's technicalities. We need to know the difference between Tame and Tahir. When such a small, small difference comes about, and we really are not sure, like a chuta saida, like the thread of a hair, and we're not sure, we're borderline how to do this. 
We're borderline, where's the good and where's the wrong? Where's the right and where's the wrong? Where's the good and where's the bad? Where's the pure, where's the impure? Where's the kosher, where's the non-kosher? The normal person can't decipher that. The Yetzirah comes along and dresses himself up like a big tzaddik. And he comes along and tries to convince you how, no, this is not a problem. It's good. It's fine. It's perfect. And we're not sure. We're borderline on this. It's possible for the person to fall into this trap. For this we need to reach and achieve the level of Shmini. When the person is still within the nature, the Yitzhahara can work on him. When the person rises above nature, which is Shmini, then they can achieve and can overcome the Havdil, the separation. A Jew's connection with God needs to be so strong that even the Seichel cannot deter the person and take him away from God's will. He needs to be totally developed and understand what is God's want. Totally connected with Shmini, above nature, one step above. And then we can find the hidden words of the evil and how to uproot them and how to weed them out. And therefore, it's Dafke and Pasha Shmini, where we get the Kayach of Shmini, that we find that very same blessing. We find that same concept of because only in Shmini can we overcome this. May we have the strength of overcoming all the evil inclinations, trials and tribulations that He gives us. And more than anything else, we should see and be zeicha to the para asiri, the tenth para brought by Moshe Rabbeinu again, when Mashiach Tzidkenu in Yerushalayim this Shabbos, we can bring once again the kosher sacrifices in the Beis Hamikdash Ashlishi. Shabbat Shalom to all.